So, hi, hello. Um, before we pray and get started with, with today's um, sermon, um, I wanted to ask all the board members. I know that the bulletin says brief twice and in the piano side. I want to have it at my office if we can. That might be a little bit better because usually here I spend like 20 minutes telling everybody, come on guys, hey, and screaming over. So I'd rather if we could just when we exit, let's just meet in my office in the back and else we'll still be brief. It's just won't be in the piano side. So um, let's go ahead and do that. Sorry for changing things up on you, Miss Kathy, but I figured that might be a little bit better than trying to scream over everybody in the... Uh, piano side. So uh, board members after church, all board members, we will meet after church at my office, okay? With that being said, let's go ahead and pray and let's, let's talk. Father God, we come before you right now. Lord, we dare never open the scriptures without calling upon the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know there's nothing here that I bring and I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. And I'm asking Father God that... So if you would go with me to the scripture reading for today, it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And um, this sermon, God did not send an email, or God didn't send an email, is the second to last. Next time I speak, uh, next week we're having an awesome Sabbath here uh, with, with our Pathfinders. The following week I'm in Perry, but the one after that, when I speak, um, we're going to wrap up the series that I've been doing throughout the summer. I know it doesn't quite look like a series, but if you notice, I've been trying to get you to work and serve and minister to people. And almost every message has a lot of similarities because the idea is that Christ is coming soon and he needs a body of people to tell them and share what an amazing and mighty God we serve. And so therefore, we've been building up, and this is the second to last to what we're doing there. But look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and um, when you have it, say amen. amen. And I'm reading this particular verse from the New American Standard Version rather than the New King James the rest of the sermon will be from the New King James, but I chose the New American Standard here because here's what it says. As, you, as each one of you has received a special gift, your versions might say minister to one another, but I don't know if you understand what that means. It means, as the New American Standard puts it, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you know what a steward is? Do you know what stewardship is? This text put that, puts that on there, very crucial, whether it says ministering to one another or employing it in service of one another. Either way, all of the Bible versions at the end of that verse say, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Stewardship, many people think is when we're talking about tithings and offerings and everything else. Guess what? Stewardship is as follows. God has given you your life, your children, Everything that you have, and he has entrusted you with this and saying, this is mine, but I need you to manage it on my behalf. I need you to look out for it. I need you to take care of it. You are being a steward. That's why when you deal with finances, you are managing his money. When you deal with your children, you are managing his kids, the gift that he has given you. There's many people that want to and have tried and have not been able to. It is a blessing for you to be able to have children. And you need to do what's right in the sight of God, managing or being a good steward 
of those children. And so everything that we do, many people think that stewardship is a battling of finances. You know, the Bible does talk about a tithe, which is a 10%. It talks about offerings. Can a man rob God? Tithes and offerings. We've heard that. We've seen it. But guess what? How are you managing your time with God? How are you managing your sleep with God? How are you managing your all? It is not good enough to be a vegetarian and don't eat any meat, but you're loading up on a whole bunch of cheese and bread and sugar. That's worse than eating the meat. How are you managing all of these things? Stewardship is all around, top to bottom. None of you is yourself. You are not yours because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, you have been bought by a price. You have been purchased. And that price, Christ Jesus paid the price. If I wish you had been bought, you are not of your own. So here in this text, it's saying that you have been given a gift. Use it. And serve one another, being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Go with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is the last prayer recorded of God prior to the cross. The last prayer recorder of Jesus prior to the cross. You know, at the cross, he prayed, Father, to you I come in my spirit, forgive him, because I don't know what they're doing. And then afterwards, he has some other. But, but before the cross, this is the last full prayer where he's sitting there just wrestling and talking to his Father in heaven. Look at John 17, and we're going to read verse 18, and then we're going to go back to, to, uh, um, to something else in a moment. But, but, but here, here's what it is, verse 18. It says... As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now, do me a favor. Keep your finger in John 17 and go to Mark 16. Okay? Keep your finger in John 17 because we're going to come right back and we're going to read a lot of verses in John 17. But just keep your finger in there and we're going to go to Mark. Now picture this. I have, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Have you really ever sat down and picture what this was like for Christ? Let me tell you this. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm always running around and, and I'm always excited. There's a new update in this watch about the, the heart rate. And when I was preaching this morning at Crawfordville, it beat. Your heart rate increased and you don't appear to be exercising. I, I don't know what, what that's about, but, but I, I get that a lot. You know, where it's just, it just jumps and says there's an increase, but you don't seem to be active. What's happening? And so I've been getting that a lot this week. So when I finally get home and I just get to get to bed and just crash, I love just, just, just laying there. Sometimes my children would come in the, in the, in the, in the, in the bedroom because my, my daughter shares the bathroom with my wife and my son shares one with me. And, and so they, they come in there to brush their teeth at nighttime and go away, and they leave the door open. And it seems like the door is just so far. My bedroom is not that big, but it's like, what are you doing? Get over here. Close the door because it's like, I don't even want to get out of the bed. I was already wrapped up in the covers. I got three fans going. I got the air conditioning temperature down to 70. I'm just ready to go. And they do that, and it seems so distant. I don't want to get out of place. And it's like, children, do this. For my birthday and for Father's Day, two days a year, I literally sit at home, and I'm a bum. I just lay in that bed, refuse to get out of there, have my trumpet in the side, have the book here, and television. I don't get much of a chance to watch TV. I binge watch everything that I can during that time, and my kids bring me food and everything else, and I only get up if I have to go potty, and even then I try to hold it. I just try to just sit there as long as I can 
and relax two days a year. Nothing. I tell my wife, have the kids bring the gifts early in the morning, give me a hug and a kiss, and get out. It's just me. I know, you know, it's that I'm, an, I'm really an introvert. I'm not shy. People don't, don't see that and they don't believe that. I really love to just be alone, just me in my own little world. Give me a book, give me my trumpet, I'll jam for a little bit. I just love that, but I only get it a couple times a year. The point is that, that when I get myself in that thing, I don't want to be inconvenienced at all. Yet you have Christ who left the heavenly place who came down right here, became what you and I have become. He became flesh, not before the fall, but after the fall. He was affected, although not infected, by the sins and the evils of the world, by all of the trials and tribulations. He is tempted just as you and I are. We have him as a high priest who knows exactly what we're going through. He knows what keeps us up at night. He left all of that. And if you were to read... The last day or so, the last maybe 15, 12, 15 hours leading to the cross, the humiliation, the disrespect. You know, last week I, I shared with you when, when somebody, you know, hit me in the face and, and how that felt. Jesus was spat upon, oh, and whipped. And every, I mean, could you imagine, can you picture everything that he went through? A thorn of crowns. They were teasing him, oh, if you're really the son of God, and, you know, get out of there and pray to God. And this, oh, hell, the king. And, you know, they just messed him up. And he did all of that for you and me. And the reality is that he loves you so much that he would have done it for just one of you. I have three kids. They're not here. They, they weren't with me to Crawfordville, and they're over there. But I, I have three kids. And for, I will give my life for all of them or any of them. And I am not as loving as God is. Can you imagine that amount of love, everything that he went through for you and me? And when he came here, he had that prayer, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them. Look at Mark 16, 15. Look at Mark 16, 15. And, and picturing this, look what he wants us to do now, this Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He says, and he says to them, go into all the world. Not a little bit, not just a corner, all the world. And preach the gospel to every single creature. Not just the rich, not just the poor, not just the blacks, not just the whites, not just any, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Go to everyone. He's the one that is asking you to do this. Now go back to John 17, right? Because you kept your finger on there. So go back to John 17, beginning on verse 1. When you have it, say amen. So that I know that you have it. And look at the prayer as he's talking to the Father. And this is the Jesus that died for you and me. Jesus spoke these words. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Even in the midst of this, he wants to honor the Father. Verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what is eternal life? 
to wear a suit and tie every week to Sabbath? What is eternal life? To wear your hair a certain way? To not die? No, no, no. That you may know him. Because this is the whole thing. God is love. And when you know God, when you really know God, you know, in the Greek is, is ginosko, you know, that, that, that idea of knowing God is an intimate knowing. It's the way that Adam got to know Eve. No, I'm not saying any crazy stuff, but what I'm saying, God really wants you to know him. Hosea 6, 6, I desire the knowledge of God over any burnt offerings or sacrifices. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Know God and Jesus Christ. You cannot experience knowing God, who God is love, and Jesus who gave his life for us, and not be loving yourself. There's no way that you can't do that. So that's where eternal life is, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, that thing that I gave up coming down here, I want to go back up there. It's time for that now. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus is modeling here in that verse 6, not the point for today, but I want to emphasize again. Even the disciples, God gave them to Jesus, and he recognized that what you gave me, I took care of it. Are we taking care of what God has given us? Verse 7. Now... They have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Verse 8, for I have given them to the, the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Sounds like a marriage, huh? Was yours is mine, what mine is mine, and what mine is yours, or something like that? Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I want to pause there for a moment. Because I want to just digress very briefly about this thing of Christ. I don't know if you're noticing what's happening. He's praying for his disciples. He's saying, I, I, no, they're, they're here now. I'm leaving. They're staying in the world. Look out for them. When you gave it to them, me, not one of them got in trouble. Except that one son of perdition. But the scriptures, you know, they needed to be fulfilled and, and everything else. But, but besides that, I took care of them. And they knew that everything I have was given from you. I didn't take any, any of the credit. Everything came from the Father above. Christ is modeling for us, even in this prayer, how it is. I've told you before that I know people may have given their life to Christ because of an encounter with me. But I'm so scared of those who may have turned away from Christ because of an encounter with me. That really just hurts me. And my children, I pray for them daily. I told you that last time I was here, um, you know, where, where it's, it's, it's God, family, your health, 
and then whatever else. My family is very important, even at the expense of my health, because I don't want to save the whole church and lose my family. I don't want to save the whole world and lose my family. And, and so imagine when you, God comes and says, I gave you these children. What have you done with them? Have you trained them up in the ways? And have you done this? You are stewards, and here you have Christ even giving account to his Father in heaven. I've done everything that you've asked. And he's having this heartfelt prayer with the Father. And he's talking about having this fulfilled life and this joy in themselves. Now, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Christ came here to model something from us. Have you ever done like a Bible study on baptism? Why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't need cleansing from anything. He was showing us what needed to take place. If Christ did it, if Christ said it, he is teaching us something. And yet here, yet again, he is repeating it. Just like you sent me, I am sending them. As you have sent me, I have sent them. Take care of them. Protect them. I pray that they are one, just as you and I are one, that they can be in unity together. In our churches, one of the challenges is the unity aspect. You know, we have certain relationships, but that we're not really bestest of friends. If I'm going down through something, I may not feel comfortable sharing something with you. If I'm struggling with a particular temptation or sin, I may not feel comfortable doing that. Why? Because I'm afraid of you. Because I'm worried about what you're going to say. You know, it is, it is a struggle. It shouldn't be that way. This should be a home. This should be a family. This should be a body. This should be all together. All as one with Christ being the head. And Christ took his time for the last prayer recorded before the crucifixion, before he knew he was going to die, to pray that you do not keep them from the world. One of the things that we do in our churches, we think we are in a private club. We think that it is very hard to get in. You got to meet a checklist of criteria. Um, you could leave any time. We won't lose any sleep over it. But we do make it hard to get in. And it's just inclusive. It's just us and it's us right here. The problem is that we are afraid as a result of that to even come in contact and rub elbows with the world. But how are you going to minister or serve the world unless you are in the world? So I'm not saying that you keep them from the world, but just protect them from the evil one. So that when they are in the trenches, the evil one is not affecting them or harming them or hurting them in any way. And even if a storm goes their way, I will carry them through that storm. Because you see, God doesn't keep us from bad things, but carries us through those bad things. You've heard me say it plenty of times in every other sermon that I can. Not from the flood, but through the flood. Not from the furnace, but through the furnace. Not from the lion's den, but in the lion's den. You are protected and the lion's mouth are shut, but you still went through it. You know, Christians, you are either in the middle of a crisis, about to go into a crisis, or just coming out of one. Either way, crisis, crisis, crisis is our life. We're not exempt from the trials and tribulations of this world. The difference is, will you face this crisis without Christ Jesus? You need him in your life, and he's praying for that unity. He's asking for that. And so God did not send an email. He sent you for God so loved the world that he sent an email. And Jesus says, just as you send an email, I'm going to send them also to send emails and more emails, and we email, email. How are you going to reach people? 
God did not send an email. He sent you. And what are you doing with what has been given to you? Every encounter in your life is important. Every encounter in your life matters. We have different relationship levels. I'll, I'll give you some examples. One of them, like a first-time encounter when you sit on the airplane, you know, and, and you meet someone, oh, hi, and you get that one person that always wants to talk your ear off when you want to just put your headphones and just knock out. But, you know, you, you, that, that's an encounter right there. That's an opportunity to share a little bit of Christ. Repeat encounters, like the person at the grocery store, that you know their name now. They already know how you want your, your, your sandwich at, at Publix, you know, and, and exactly how you like it because you've seen them there all of the time. You know, you have like an acquaintance. Like if you sit in a committee meeting, I, I haven't sat in many here, but when I was in Jersey, I was like in every other board meeting. And so I got enough board meetings of my own now that I try not to partake in any of the others. But, you know, when you sit in those committees, those are individuals that you, you can talk to. What about a neighbor where you know a little bit about them, you help each other? A coworker where you're doing a project together, you work together, you're next to each other. That's a little bit deeper. A team sport where you're doing events with one another. Now, you know, it's more than just passing the ball. And then you have a friend, you know, your closest friend, the one that actually you do stuff that you want to do, not because it's part of work or anything else. Or there I said church. But you actually do want to hang with them. So regardless of your level of connection, whether it's the first time in an airplane or their closest friends, each encounter is valuable to God. Each of those individuals is meaningful to God. You know, I, I, I was reading this week about some missing children. I was also reading this week about some trafficking that was taking place and, and officers and uh, other people involved. It was just devastating. And when you read these things, you're thinking about that. I cannot imagine if one of my kids were missing, how far would I go for them? And God has sent you. How far are you willing to go for your heavenly father? Go with me to Psalm 37, and then we'll go back to, we'll go to Matthew. Psalm 37, 23. You know, I, I used to be very skeptical and uh, call everything a coincidence. I used to think, oh, you know, what, what, are, what are the odds and, and what's happening here? And, you know, uh, um, it, it's a very, very interesting thing. Um, there are no coincidences. There are, there are no coincidences. I believe that wholeheartedly. And the scriptures reaffirm that. Psalm 37, 23. When you have it, say amen. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I can tell you many, many stories, many, many stories of, of things that happen, how it works out. Uh, I'll give you a brief one of how I came to Florida. Just very, very brief, not to digress, and then we'll take it from there. But, um, you know, um, when, when I went to, to seminary, I, I went out of my own pocket. I felt a call to ministry. I was paying for school. One of my professors, you know, he said to me, he was like, um, uh, you know, he, he meets with everybody. It's like a preaching class. He talks afterwards. There's a videotape. Have you ever heard the sound of your own voice being recorded? And all of the phases and gestures you make when, you, when you're speaking is like horrible, sitting there scrutinizing everything. And then he says to me, he's like, Joey, you know, you, you, are you sponsors? I know it's just my wife and I. We came out here with our son. My, Ariana wasn't born yet. And, and we're just paying to go to school for the call to ministry. He says, put my name down as a reference. I would love to be able to, um, you know, be a reference because you need to get higher. You need to serve somewhere. 
And so I was like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, and so a couple of years went by, and now I'm getting ready to graduate. I applied in almost every conference that I wanted to work. See, understand, in seminary, we have conversations. Stay away from that conference. Stay away from the other one. These are the good ones. They'll, they'll be all right. So I never wanted to apply in Florida because I don't like the heat. I hate the heat. I left my house this morning. It was 68 degrees. I was so excited to actually get in some cool weather this morning. I mean, it's already hot. I was sweating on the way here. But this morning, it was cold. And, and so I never applied in Florida. And I'm sitting there just getting ready to go to my last semester, and uh, it so happens that I get a phone call from Florida. I had never applied there. And I said, what happened? He said, well, you know, um, we, we found a resume from two years ago from this gentleman. We called out to him, and we said, hey, are you still interested based on your resume? We want someone like you in Florida. You have a Florida mindset. He says, no, I'm already working for this other conference, but I have a name for you. You got to get this young man on there. You're going to love him, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he talked me up. So I get a call from, 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 from the president because my name was given. He says, can you just send me a resume, you know, and we'll, we'll call you in. They, that was on a Friday. That Monday, he called me to get all of my information for flight information. That Tuesday, he called me with the uh, actual flight info, like he got our, our legal names and everything else. That Friday, we flew to the church in St. Pete's. That Saturday I preached, that Sunday the board met, they, they, voted, they voted to have me there, and by that next Wednesday, that following Wednesday, I got officially offered the position here in Florida Conference. And so here's the thing. It happened like that, and I never applied, but the, the person that called me from Florida was the younger brother of the very first person also in my reference. So in other words, a whole other pastor got called for the job, he says, you got to check this young man. He says, send me your resume. And at the top of the resume was his big brother's name and phone number as a reference. I had no idea. Russell Burrow and Ken Burrow here. And I had no idea. But it's amazing how two years before, he said, put my name down. And now his big brother is calling him for, or his little brother is calling him for a reference on this. And talk about providential. Because nowhere that I applied did I ever even get a call back. And somewhere that I did not want to go, they just called me out of nowhere. And I just don't believe in coincidences anymore. I applied with the younger brother of the guy who says to give me a reference. And a complete different pastor gave him my name. So he called to hire one and ended up hiring another. And it's just one of those things. Now, I have plenty more to share on those kind of things. But I believe wholeheartedly that God will guide your steps. I was getting an oil change the other day, and I had a guy that just started talking to me for no reason. And just sharing his frustrations with the world or whatever. We talked for a while there, and, and you know, again, we had an opportunity to share. And, and that's something that is amazing, because there's no coincidence. Your steps are guided by God. The question is, will you be receptive and open to said opportunities? Go with me to Matthew 25. And Matthew 5 also. We're going to go 25 and 5 and then back to 25 and then back to 5. Because I just want to make sure that you're awake. Okay? Ma- Matthew 25. And we're going to read verse 40. And when you have it, say amen. It might be on the screen too. But here's the thing. Matthew 25, you are familiar with the story. I've said this story at least in like 15 different messages. But I just want to remind you of this. God did not send an email. God sent you. What did he send you to do and how can you share the gospel message? Remember when he separated the sheep and the goat? 
And they were like, well, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was in prison, and you visited me, and this and that. Lord, when did we do this? Remember that? And, and then other ones said, well, when did we not do this to you? And Jesus said, verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, as surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. You did it to the little ones, you did it unto me. You neglected them, you neglected me. God did not send an email, God sent you. Why is it till this day in a place like this that we still have poverty? Why is it till this day that in a place like this, people still don't know? Now, you kind of think in your mind, we think, oh, you have to go to like Africa somewhere in Kenya in a third world country to see people just get one meal a week and they're lucky to have that. No, no, we see that even here in the U.S., where we just got food galore, where you go behind any fast food restaurant after 11 o'clock in the morning and you see the food being dumped because if it's out for a certain time, they got to throw it away. In a place such like this, where we have an abundance of things, where, where, you know, when I went to Kenya, they used to call me Musungu, which is translated as white rich guy, white rich fat guy. Because the idea is that if you are fat, that means you must eat well. Most of us only get a meal a week, so when you're heavy, you got to have money. And that's what they assumed when they saw me. I was a much bigger than two. I'm still big now, but so I'm still rich, you know, not Donald Trump rich or whatever, but, you know, still pretty rich. And, and that was the mindset because of how you look because of the food. Yet here, we got an obesity problem. We do like presidential challenges and things like that to get people to lose weight. Food is not an issue here. I got a pastor friend of mine that, that got me into doing this. Every year, donate 10% of your clothes. Tithe on your clothes. Go through your closet. Look to see what you have and wear. You know, he does different tricks. Turn your shirt inside out. And you know that, that if it's like that after a couple of months, you have not even used that shirt at all. Why is it there? So look through that. Donate it. There's so many people that still need clothing and things. Why? When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was sick, when I was in prison, when I needed clothes, when I was naked, you clothed me. You fed me. You gave me to eat. You gave me to drink. Stay on Matthew 25 and go to Matthew 5, 13. Matthew 5, 13. And it may or may not be up on the screen. It says the following. Matthew 5, 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. When Jesus speaks, he speaks clearly, pointed and plain. You are the salt. Season it. If you have no flavor, you are good for nothing. Here's my thing. I plead with you. And for the last four months or so, because I had a couple of vacation Sabbaths there, for the last four months, I've been telling you message after message, work, work, serve, serve, do it in love, do it with a smile, it is okay to be happy, don't judge others, Jesus says, come as you are, over and over, I've been telling you this, it is not for me, I, I can just play church just like you guys, come here and give you feel-good messages, and messages say, wow, thank you, you know, I feel great, see you next week. But that is not what this is about. 
This is not just to play church. I'm telling you this because if you're not already active and serving in our church, then you're just a bench warmer. I'm telling you this because I really do care for every single soul, beginning with you. And so we can't minister the world if we're not being ministered to ourselves either. We can't share Christ with others if you yourself have not experienced Christ. You cannot give some of that flavor to the world if you yourself taste like nothing, completely flavorless. This is Jesus. You are the salt. If you lose your flavor, you're just good enough to be thrown out. And I'm not saying this like back in the day when people used to try to scare literally the Hades out of you. No, no, no. I'm saying this because I want you to understand that your character is mold and shape as we serve others because it is by beholding that we become changed. Auntie Ellen says that Christ could have finished the work all by himself, but in order for us to develop a character like Christ. We must be partakers in his life-saving mission. And that's what this is. Go to the previous two verses of you are the salt of the earth because it's not going to be pretty either. This is verses 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 5. And this is something that we, uh, you know, there's pastors that preach prosperity and everything is all pretty and rainbows and unicorns and stuff. No, no. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, it says, Blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evils against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. That's the very next verse. You go out there. You do these things. Things aren't going to be pretty. Things are actually going to be really ugly. As a matter of fact, it's going to be even worse. Because when nobody cares about you, they don't have anything to say bad about you. They're not going to persecute you. They're not going to bear false witness against you. But if you're doing my will, go out there. It's going to get ugly. And just remember your reward is in heaven. When you get the 17-page email from a member complaining about the music, your reward is in heaven, your reward is in heaven, your reward is in heaven. Just remember that your reward is in heaven. Now, yes, does it mean that we cannot improve our music? Absolutely. Hallelujah. We need to give our best to God and not give Him junk. But if it's junk, we err in the side of mercy and grace as well. Because our reward is in heaven. Go back to Matthew 25. Actually, keep it on Matthew 5. I want to read the verses after. So sorry. Uh, let's read the verses after. Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16. We'll read, we'll read the verses after also. Because you see, this is a whole story. I'm just giving you bits and pieces. But look at this. Now he goes even further. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be sitting at church where men of the benches just once a week be a good seven-day Adventist and only show up for one hour. If that, maybe just in time for the sermon. And as soon as the sermon is over, walk right out before the last song is even finished. 15, nor they do light a lamp and put it under a basket, or, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Go to the last text of Matthew 25, and while you're working your way there, I want to tell you something that... When I was, uh, are you familiar with like Saturday Night Live, SNL, and Mad TV used to come out? They do like sketches and characters and stuff. So before any of that stuff, we had the Mexican version in Puerto Rico. See, Puerto Rico, to do Spanish TV, we get stuff from Latin America, Central America, South America. So we used to have this, this show from Mexico um, called El Chavo del Ocho, uh, which I don't, I'm not even going to try to translate it. But here's this guy, right? 
And, and they do all kinds of sketches. One of the scenes, one of the sketches, it was a, a really skinny guy and a really fat guy. That's what they were called, the skinny and the fat guy. And they were, they were, they were thieves. And, you know, they were your typical thieves with the stripe and the hat and the rough beard, you know, that, that kind of thing. And they played this character. So the skinny one wasn't always the brightest. That was the idea. And so the, 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 the fat thief, you know, catches him just searching. There, there, there's a light stand right here. He's just looking around and he's looking around and he's looking everywhere. And, and so the fact is like, what are we looking for? What's going on? He's like, I lost my wallet. Oh, okay. I hope you look. Well, I don't see anything. He's like, I know. Well, let's walk you through it. Where do you first uh, see your wallet last? Oh, over there. And when did you notice that it was lost? Oh, over there. Then... Why are you searching here? Oh, because it's just too dark over there. Here is much lighter, so it's easier to see. And so, you know, I, 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 I remember that sketch, and it, and it stayed with me, because how many times do we catch ourselves preaching the gospel where it's not needed, ministering in a field that needs no physician, and completely abandoning a whole other place just because it's too dark and it's too hard to see? Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Don't let it because it's easy and it's convenient and it's clear. And I can see clearly now. No, no, no. Why? Go where you need to go. Lord, I have sent them, not an email, just as you have sent me. God is not asking much of us. He is saying, get to know me, let me in, and tell everybody else. That's it. Matthew 25, verse 21. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to encourage you to be faithful over the little things. As simple as they may be. I want to encourage you to do that. What you do, you do it for God, and let it be all to the glory of God. I, um, this morning, I played special music over in, in Crawfordville. Uh, we had like a cancellation or something. Um, and so anyhow, they called me yet last night, can you do this? And so, you know, I had not played in a while, and it showed this morning. I was like, yeah, I'll say yes. But the lip gives out. You know, it's kind of like if I invite you to run. You know how to run. But after a mile, it's like, <gasps> you know, because you're out of shape. So my lips started to give out a little bit, squeaked a little bit here and there. But it was all good. You know what I mean? We got through the song. It was pretty. But I noticed how when I used to practice every day in middle school and high school and in college, and I used to play versus the one that hasn't touched that trumpet in a while, I had to put like extra oil on those valves because they were getting stuck. I mean, you know, like I noticed I wasn't putting into it. And, and this is the whole thing. I, I, will, I felt a little bit bad, and I actually asked God for forgiveness just before I got up to preach because it's like, how do you do something for God and not really give him your best? Even in the little things, as much as keeping up with the maintenance of your trumpet, if you're a trumpet player, keeping the vowels lubed up, keeping that lip warmed up, everything that you do, make sure that God looks at you and says, Stuart, well done, good and faithful servant. That is my prayer to you. I understand it, and I ask that this is something that you can make it for yourself because God has entrusted you, some with much, some with little, but even in the little things, 
be a good and faithful servant. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you. You are an amazing God. Lord, it's hard to see that you didn't send an email, but you sent us. We think sometimes that the deacons would do it, that the deaconesses would do it, that the elders would do it. The pastor, well, we pay his salary. He's got to be the one to carry it out because we got other more important stuff to do. But Lord, at the end of the day, all your children are out there. Some know about you and some do not. Some have been found, but some are still lost. And I can hear the plea of Isaiah 6-8, who will go for us? Lord, I pray that my church family here says, ooh, 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 Father God, here I am. Send me. Lord, bless us and keep us. Continue to work in us and through us for the benefit of all. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say amen.